This is Marco, and you are listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Welcome to episode 245 of the Yellow Wallpot. Borussia Dortmund are in Tabellenführerland because they've beat Red Bull Salzburg 4-1. No, and they didn't beat what? Red Bull Salzburg, Stefan. Oh, right. RB Leipzig 4-1. <laughs> Just gonna cut that out. No, no big deals. That, that's, that's because, uh, Constantin here is chewing on his Mozart ball and, uh, These stem obviously from Salzburg, which is why I'm very much confused. Um, anyway, hello and welcome to the show, everyone out there. Uh, we have a lot of things to talk about, uh, including, of course, the 4-1 win over Leipzig. And we have to preview Borussia Dortmund's game away to Hanover on Friday night. And, of course, Dortmund have finally added a striker, Paco Alcazar who we will obviously talk about in great detail, I assume. So with any further ado, welcome to the show, Lars Polman. Hello, how are you doing? Why are we talking like this, Stefan? I don't know. Well, I'm fine, thank you. I'm out. All right. Um, I'm, I'm glad, uh, Konstantin, you have finally swallowed your Mozart ball. So hello and welcome to the show, to you too. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Um, so yeah, let's it's a good start to the show. We are a good yeah, start. Yeah, I, I think I think so. Um, it's a it's a cold opening, even though uh, we had a countdown. So anyway, um, Dortmund won four to one. Um, Ralf Rangnick said after the game that he cannot remember such a grotesque game, and said that uh, he can't imagine his Leipzig team play any better than they did in the first 30 minutes. And I think Lucien Favre agreed that uh, Leipzig were a better team in the first 25 minutes and said that uh, Dortmund didn't defend well, that there are still things to improve, especially in possession. And uh, when Dortmund uh, should play a little bit wider and stuff like that. So, um, Lars, do you think 4-1 was a fair result or were Dortmund just a little bit lucky? Yeah, they were lucky, I think. After the first half with the massive Berkey save in the 28th minute, I think being ahead 3-1 was definitely a bit too much for what Dortmund had put in because uh, I would definitely agree with uh, Messers, Rangnick and Favre that Leipzig were the better side in the first half. But, you know, in the second half, Dortmund defended very cleverly, didn't allow too many clear-cut scoring chances. So Dortmund winning the second half, maybe 1-0 was fine. So ultimately, I think it was a deserved victory for Dortmund, but maybe more of a 2-1 to maybe 3-1 uh, result than, you know, the 4-1, which kind of, you know, especially with the first half being so in Leipzig's favor until the second goal for Dortmund, basically, uh, I think that was kind of... Uh, Yeah, lucky for Dortmund, as you said. 
Yeah, Dortmund had seven shots, five on goal, and uh, made four goals out of that. I don't know if uh, Zabitzer's own goal is uh, in that shot count, however. But uh, nevertheless, Konstantin is said already Favre Fußball, where he just uh, ridicules the expected goal count, which was, I think, 2.04 to 1.48. Correct. That's what Favre does when he's just, yeah. In this game, um, I don't know. My, I mean, yeah, they they scored um, after after two set pieces, basically one own goal. So um, I, I think you have to add a plus one to to two point something. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess uh, there was a little bit of luck involved, uh, basically with the own goal, and uh, but other than that, I mean, they they scored one after a beautiful um, play. Uh, involving Diallo and Dahoud and Philip and Schmelzer. And they scored one after a corner kick with a beautiful header by Delaney and a beautiful finish by Witzel. So I don't, I don't think that's, you know, that's something you, uh, you should, or that's something you should criticize to some extent. It's something you could prank about actually. Um, especially how beautiful, um, the first goal was and how beautiful Witzel looked when he rose to the sky. Um, yeah, and they scored. Speaking you know, of it, beautiful it, it, Witzel, he had 69 touches. Nice. Right. And his, and his, fir- and his first touch went really well. Well, you, you mean that one within the first 30 seconds? Right. <laughs> that was his first <laughs> touch, I guess. Because he, he, with his toe, he touched the ball and it didn't go his way. It did go the wrong way. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was also interesting to see that, uh, Witzel, Diallo, uh, Akanji, they were all a bit conf- or, uh, they had a cold start, you know, they, uh, right into the game when, when, uh, August Tong scored. Um, but after that, I think Dortmund struggled for some, for 15, 20 minutes a bit with, um, Leipzig's pressing. Um, especially Diallo and Schmelzer had some, some trouble there. Um, when they were, and even Witzel looked uncomfortable, uh, for the first 15 or 20 minutes. But then once they scored the first goal and they, you know, they had momentum, then it looked pretty good, pretty good in midfield. Um, apart maybe from Piszczek, all of the players on the pitch, um, had, had a pretty good game from the equalizer going forward. Then. So Lars, do you think it was surprising that Dortmund struggled with? Leipzig's pressing in the way they did and do you think uh, that Dortmund's defense will always look as nervous as they did in these opening 20 minutes? No, I don't think so. I think first match day of the season, first home game for really a newly built side uh, in in so many important areas. I mean, for someone like Abdou Diallo who came from Mainz, played at Monaco before, it's just a, a very different setting to have a home match and to play in front of 80,000 people and 25,000 of them standing a few meters behind you. I think that can get to your head. I mean, he's 22 years old, uh, doesn't have a lot of experience, he plays with the maturity beyond his years usually. So this was out of character for him, but I think he settled down in the second half quite nicely as well. Had a few good spells on possession uh, throughout the game. So that wasn't something that would concern me too much. In terms of the pressing, uh, I think I didn't actually listen to the preview episode, but you probably talked about that at length, that that's what Leipzig do pretty well, especially under yes, we did. under Ralf Rangnick now, who's the godfather of uh, 
pressing nowadays in, in the Bundesliga with Jürgen Klopp gone. So that that's not something that most teams will be able to do to Dortmund. So, And you always have to remember that even though Leipzig probably aren't as good as they were two years ago with the talent drain, especially Keita gone and not being replaced so far and probably not going to be replaced this transfer window, that's still a lot of attacking quality in that team. So it's not like you can, you know, keep them quiet for 90 minutes. And especially when you consider that the first goal was kind of uh, coming from a from an unlucky bounce from a Dortmund perspective. Uh, going behind after 31 seconds, uh, I think, was the official count that informs how the game is going to play out. And keeping that in mind, I think they did pretty well to hold on somewhat over the first 30 minutes or so. And then obviously the the two crucial scenes in the game, I would say, were first the, the equalizer, which uh, came off a beautiful sequence of players, Konstantin said, and still was a lot of work to do for Mahmoud Terul because it was basically a fadeaway header, which is not something most people are good at. And he, as a All central right. midfielder who may, has never if, scored a Bundesliga goal for Dortmund, certainly if, not the... If I may quickly ask there, Lars, um, do you think that uh, this fadeaway header was only made possible to score because of his uh, haircut? Uh, as a member of the I don't have a lot of hair these days club and probably never will again, uh, I can't really speak on that, but uh, a simply yes would have sufficed. Yeah, it's it's the helmet. It's the helmet. <laughs> it's the Playmobil Mahmoud helmet. I'm I'm convinced at least. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, and the, and the quickly the second uh, crucial scene, obviously the the massive Burki save against Jean Kevy August uh, after I think 28 minutes. I mean, uh, if, if that goes in and that's, that was, I think, seven minutes after the equalizer, I don't think we're looking back at this game uh, as something that Dortmund won somewhat comfortably in the end. So, uh, while they did pretty well after those 28, 29 minutes, I would say they, they were definitely a bit fortunate to be in a position to still be able to pull out the win somewhat comfortably. I must say that Birky's save was really something. Uh, especially, I, I thought in, in slow motion it was even more impressive because you could see his hand actively moving to the ball. It was not the Roman Weidenfeller goalkeeping school where you just run out of goal and, uh, you know, take a ball into the face. But <laughs> yeah, that, that was a really great save. I actually never saw the, uh, save from Birky on, on Klosterman. I think it was in the second half where he also had like a reaction save. Um, in, in, in replay, so I can't speak on that, but, uh, that's in, in real time looked mightily impressive as well. And, uh, as far as my player ratings on ESPN go, I think, uh, it was justified that, uh, Roman Birki scored the highest rating. I, I think even though 4-1 is a very clear result and, uh, Dortmund looked very comfortable at times, I, I still think that Roman Birki was, uh, maybe the most crucial part to win that game. Uh, any thoughts on that assertion? Yeah, I uh, agree wholeheartedly. Basically, I wrote about this as well, that uh, even though, as I said before, Dortmund defended pretty well in the second half or defended their lead well, more generally, uh, Birki put them on the map to do that. So uh, he deserves all the praise he got. And I think it was a very neat moment for him to be singled out by the yellow wall uh, with you know uh, his name echoing through the stadium because... Uh, he's obviously 
because of uh, some spells of uh, unassuredness in goal. Uh, he's not necessarily a fan favorite. He's also made a few comments here and there after defeats at home about the fans and about fans booing and whistling and whatnot. Uh, he's he's not usually someone who gets a lot of love from the yellow wall. So for him to get that deservedly so against Leipzig was probably a, a very cool a cool moment for him. Yes, indeed. So Konstantin, when we look at who wasn't in that um, team, we have Shinji Kagawa, we have Nori Shine, obviously Rode Tolyan and uh, Toprak. I think uh, may have had muscular problems. Um, anyway, um, we, however, talked about uh, one Mario Götze after the third match and in the preview to the Leipzig game, and Götze obviously was benched for 90 minutes. Um, I, I want to have your thoughts on that because um, I think Delaney, Witzel and Dahoud were a pretty decent midfield trio. I want to say that Delaney was in Eric Durmot in at least the first 20 minutes when it comes to whatever he did on the ball because he just stopped it to an opponent or whatever that was completely uninspired. Um, however, do you think that this midfield trio is like the automatic start now for Favre or do you think he will mix it up even if he doesn't have to because of rotation? What What are your thoughts on there? Uh, is it now already time for the overreaction uh, Monday, so to speak, and say Mario Götze will have a really difficult season? Or do you think um, uh, we should all relax and Mario Götze will be back and play well in that midfield? I think he should retire. I mean, it's over. It's, all right. It's, it's over. <laughs> I mean, you know, Delaney destroys his career. No, it it, it, it went, as, as it is often the case in Mario Götze's career, it doesn't go his way uh, right now. I mean, he had um, he was in the starting eleven against Fürth, played in a weird role high up, um, basically as the as the forward. Um, didn't do well. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> and then he was dropped from the squad. Uh, not from the squad, from the starting eleven. Sorry. Um, well, what it was his fault that he didn't play well against Fürth in the weird role that he isn't really comfortable in. I don't know. Um, but I think, uh, time will tell, but I think, uh, over time he will get back his spot in the mid, in midfield. I think, uh, there is some value to, um, Delaney, of course, um, especially if you want to, or if, if you have a lead and want to defend the lead, um, he's, he can be very valuable as basically as a hybrid, as a holding, attacking midfield hybrid. Um, and his defensive skills are second to none, of course. Um, but, I think in, in terms of possession football and build up plays and, you know, getting, um, getting or moving the ball downfield, uh, you need someone like Götze. Um, if, if you don't have Götze on the pitch and you have Delaney, um, next to Dahoud, then it's up to Dahoud to, to, to do all the work. And if the opponent is uh, able to neutralize Dahoud, then, well, it, it can be a, pre a pretty much, um, hard time for Dortmund to really get something going in terms of possession because considering that Schmelzer and Piszczek are also not always comfortable uh, in, in possession so that means um, you got Witzel you got two center backs and you got uh, Dahoud and that's not enough basically you need someone else at uh, in, in, you know an additional player and Götze is that additional player um But of course it will it will be very crowded in midfield I mean there's also uh, one Jürgen Weigel 
looming around the corner. Or probably want you want his spot back, and he has the the wild Belgium ahead of him. So we will see. Yeah, that's a good question. And also, is Nui Shine still alive? Oh. Yeah, okay. yeah, I heard he still is. Um, okay. Lars, how did you see Axel Witzel in these two games? Now I would ask you. And um, yeah, do you really think that uh, Julian Weigel will have an easy path back into that midfield, or do you think uh, it's it's going to be a very uphill bit- battle for uh, Weigel? Yeah, first of all, I think. Uh, as everybody else who, who watched those two games against Fürth and uh, Leipzig, I came away hugely impressed with how easy uh, Witzel makes everything look, especially considering he's only been in team training since I think something like August 6th. So it's not been too long. I, I'm pretty sure he doesn't even know uh, first names of all his teammates, probably most of them by now, but... I'm sure in the heat of the moment, there's someone who, whom he doesn't really recognize on a first name basis. So, uh, he, as I said, makes everything look so easy. He's so smooth on the ball. He's calm. He knows where to position himself. Uh, and as an added bonus, he's scoring goals, which uh, wasn't really advertised with him. I think he's on like 25 career goals or so. So, uh, in, in all the games he's played, that's not necessarily a, a hugely impressive number of goals. So that's probably going to dry down, uh, dry out in the, in the coming weeks. But, uh, I mean, as of right now, he's probably the first name on the team sheet, maybe next to Marco Reuses, uh, who's obviously going to need some rest at, eventually. I don't know about Witzel. He, to me, because of the, the elegance and, uh, smoothness he shows in every movement basically he he seems to me like the kind of player that you never need to take off the field and that that game against Leipzig basically gave us a glimpse into that because uh, Favre said before the game I don't think uh, Witzel can play 90 minutes uh, and there you were and he he was still looking pretty fresh after 90 minutes as opposed to some other players so uh, with that said uh Weigel being a defensive midfielder only, uh, I can't really see how he would replace Witzel for many games. And the problem uh, with Weigel isn't only that he's not really versatile and can basically only play as the number six. It's also that he's kind of got a slow starting motor, if you like. I mean, he probably needs a few weeks on end in the starting 11 to get into a groove. And right now I can't see far from affording him that unless uh, Witzel is injured or something. So uh, if, if Weigel were the kind of player who only needs a game or two to get back into his rhythm, then that would be possible. You can also play Witzel as a number eight and leave Delaney off the pitch, especially, uh, I mean, for a game like Hannover, which we'll talk about at length later, I think it would make some sense to introduce Weigel together with Witzel just so you have uh, more build-up options against a deep defending side. But, you know, that's not who Weigel is, basically. He needs more game time, and that's hard to afford him right now, even though we don't know yet how uh, far foresees rotation with uh, the kind of squad depth he has at Dortmund now. Yes, I, I must say, Lars, you very well observed how smooth uh, Axel Witzel is. And I can say firsthand that he also has very smooth skin because I was uh, standing not very far away from him in the mix zone. And because I did that and he was uh, answering all the questions in English, listeners will hear from him right 
now. Maybe you can describe uh, it was your first uh, appearance in the Bundesliga and then you scored again now. Uh, what were your feelings when you scored the goal? Uh, yeah, it was, it was crazy. It was really good. I had a really great feelings uh, for, for my first game here. Uh, I knew before, you know, because I play against uh, Dortmund with, uh, with Zenit, so I knew about the atmosphere. But when you play here, it's completely different. You can, uh, you can feel it. Uh, but the game, we, we didn't start like, like we wanted uh, the first minute uh, because we suffered a goal. Uh, but then we, we started to play uh, our game to build uh, the game from behind, uh, like we, uh, we try to do always. And uh, after the first goal, it uh, started to be more, more easy for us. You're only a few weeks here, but you have already an important role in the team. What's your secret? I don't have secret. I just uh, work hard, and uh, we have a, a really talented team, and uh, but really with really young player. I'm maybe one of the oldest. I'm, I'm 29, and uh, I just try to bring my my experience and uh, and give the best for the team. But I don't, I don't have secret. I just work hard every day in the training and, and give my best for the team. Your goal Thank was you. quite spectacular. Do you practice things like that, or was no, like, what? No, <laughs> no, no. I just did it. Uh, I mean, I scored like this before in my in my old club, uh, in Standard Liège, Zenit, uh, Benfica, in uh, in China also in Tianjin, and with my my national team also. I don't I don't know. I just saw the ball in the air and I just did a, a bicycle. Okay, two matches, two goals. Yeah. How can we get used to Axel Witzel scoring goals? I don't know. I'm not a striker. But <laughs> if I have the opportunity to score, I, I do my best to to score a goal. Okay, thank, thank you. you. That was Axel Witzel in the mixed zone and uh, yeah, mostly talking about his goals and not having any secrets. Um, so. I don't know if we already have to talk about Piszczek, but uh, uh, why not, Konstantin? Um, I'm very worried. Um, I already asked Lucia Favre today basically whether he can transform Marius Wolf into a right back. Um, Who because, give, you, give you that advice to ask? Yeah, uh, you, I think. Um, oh, really? Anywho. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. All right, go ahead. Um, yeah, so do you think that... At the end of the season, um, someone will have taken Piszczek's spot long term because against Leipzig at least, and I would also say against Fürth, he just at least physically, he didn't look up to speed at all to me. I, I thought he made individual or tactical mistakes that he usually wouldn't do just because uh, of uh, yeah his his lack of his lacking work rate because he just couldn't uh, you know close down some angles or open up passing angles and whatnot. What do you think? No, I, I think he uh, will have a hard time uh, keeping up in the Bundesliga. Um, just in, this, in, uh, in that particular match, you could see that sometimes he was not not fast enough to, uh, as you said, shut down some of the uh, passing lanes and just keeping the back four tight. Um, and he's just slow overall. Um, I mean, I don't mean like mentally but he's just so sometimes he just can't get off um it's just basically there's there's some clue uh on a, at the bottom of his feet and that's not good um and it won't get better uh, once you know you hit october or november when uh, players get tired 
Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what to do with pitch check, but uh, it can be an issue because fullbacks are sometimes the, the, um, the players that are targeted by a you know, opposing teams or by many teams actually, because if you just watch the Bundesliga just this past uh, Saturday and Sunday, you could see that so many teams play with um, you know over through the flanks and they try to break through there because it's easier for them and you know the coaches aren't really uh, creative right now. So um, that's that means that Schmelzer and Piszczek they will be you know asked to defend there and win one on one situations. You know, be be smart. Um, but also be fast and dynamic and agile. And uh, Pistik isn't any of that right now. So maybe you have to, or you have to pray that uh, Hakimi um, gets his chance and does well, or that maybe Morris Wolf will get his shot at being the next right back, basically the next Pistik, because Morris Wolf started as a center forward at uh, at Hannover a couple of years ago. Then developed into the right winger and maybe now into right back. So that would be the entire pitch checks history yeah, over all over again. Yeah, basically. So last when when we look at the fullbacks, um, first pitch check and and actually the pairing on on the flanks, pitch check and Pulisic, and on the other side, Schmetz and Royce. How do you think both these couples, dudes or pairs or whatever you want to call them, um? interacted because I thought well Christian Pulisic was really great at drawing a lot of fouls he a, didn't do too much other stuff and I also thought he let Pischek a little bit down and defensively Royce meh what do you think about these uh yeah about the defensive side on on the on the wings under Favre yeah I I would agree with the uh observation that Pulisic didn't have a great game overall uh, offensively, he didn't get too much to do. I think that, that, that's bound to happen at some point, uh, during every season. Sometimes you just don't go to one wing for one reason or another. Uh, the, the thing that is more problematic is, as you said, his lack of diligence, I would almost say, uh, tracking back and helping out with uh, Pishek because it was very apparent early on that Pishek wasn't going to be able to handle the game on his own. And I would have liked actually for Farfa to recognize that earlier and maybe bring on Wolf, who's uh, pretty diligent tracking back, or maybe even putting Maximilian Philipp on the wing, who's also uh, quite solid defensively. So that's certainly something to to look at, even though uh, I'm not sure uh, we are going to see Wolf at right back anytime soon, because why would they loan out Hakimi for two years, who's played... I mean, he's he's not been a regular starter, obviously, for Real Madrid, but he's played like I think one thousand minutes last season, so that's that's decent exposure uh, at fullback for a very good side, obviously. So he should be able to play some minutes in the Bundesliga, I would think, without too many difficulties. Um, on the left side, I uh, felt it was almost by design that Schmelzer was also left alone quite a bit because when you play Marco Reus on the wing, you know he's not going to track back all the time because. He likes to drift into uh, the half spaces and play as uh, uh, a swimming striker, whatever, nine and a half, whatever you want to call it these days. So uh, when Favre decided on Reus as the de facto left winger, he knew that Schmelzer was going to be alone for a lot of the game. So I think uh, 
once Leipzig realized that Schmelzer was alone uh, for larger stretches, they shifted their play towards the right wing, especially early in the second half once Timo Werner came on. And that was the only time in the second half when it looked like Leipzig were threatening to score a second goal and make the game really interesting. Uh, so that's when, after a few minutes, Wolf was introduced as a left winger to help out and kind of died down from there. But certainly uh, something to look at in the future. I think this is what Bundesliga teams will see when they scout Dortmund, that both fullbacks are somewhat vulnerable, even though I think Schmelz had a very good game and actually had a good game against Fürth as well. But certainly Piszczek is going to be targeted basically the entire season until he proves he's got the freshness. I, I, I'm almost willing to give him some uh, semblance of a uh, of a benefit of the doubt, basically, because he was at the World Cup. He's such a veteran, so he might just be in need of a few more games to get going because of his age. So if Piszczek looks like this in you know, early October or so, then Dortmund have a real problem and probably need Hakimi to play a bigger role than they uh, envisioned for him in his first season. Yeah, you're right. Pischik is simply just saving him for the Champions League semi-final. Uh, who can blame him? Um, but honestly, I, I think, Lars, that you're very uh, correct in your observation that uh, Dortmund sort of designed that uh, channel for Schmelzer with uh, Royce of tucking into the center. I think that's That, that might be even more evident when you watch it from, from the stands than on, on the television, because then sometimes you can see where Royce sort of, uh, runs around, um, when, when the ball is, is not really, uh, near. And we all know, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Mark Royce is very self-aware of that, uh, wherever he is, that his presence will bind defenders. And with that, he can certainly open up channels. And, uh, if Marco Royce knows, knows it, I'm pretty, sure that uh, Lucien Favre also knows it so um, the fact that Marcel Schmelzer had such a great cross and also a couple of uh, opportunities against Rolter Fürt, I don't think that's coincidence I think that's designed and I also um, you know can't blame Favre for saying um, let's try it rather on the left side with a more athletic and agile Schmelzer right now than uh, with Lukas Piszczek uh, who made a couple of overlapping runs as well but they just hardly ever really come off and look a little bit awkward. So with Schmelzer, you have a little bit more dynamic and overall Dortmund, especially in the first half, had a lot of attacks uh, over their left side. Um, may maybe just because uh, whenever Pulisic uh, was running an attack, especially in the first half, he was brought down. So maybe I'm seeing it a little bit too lopsided here. I don't know. Anyway, um, story time. Um, my dad... <laughs> Yes, uh, he was talking to some guy in some mobile Borussia Dortmund fan shop for like an hour. And uh, I don't know what they really talked about, uh, get, uh, whatever. But it happened that uh, the the guy from this mobile Borussia Dortmund fan shop uh, gave my dad a scarf. It's a half and half scarf from the uh, last cup game against Greuther Fürth. And... Um, Here's the deal. I don't really know what to do with it because I don't like half and half scuffs. But if anyone out there uh, wants to have it, I uh, pitch you a little uh, prediction game. And that means you can just uh, give us your prediction for the Hanover game with the hashtag yellowballpot or whatever, or just add us. I don't care. And uh, if you get it right, you win the scarf and I'll send it to you wherever you live in the world. How's that? 
pretty nice, right? Um, anywho, also on, on that note, um, we have a couple more cups for our Patreons. Um, there is, of course, still two with the kind of fight of uh, Marco Royce and the one of Socrates. And there's now one that says uh, together against racism, which I think is also very nice. So uh, by the time this episode is up there, uh, you can certainly um, yeah, look for it on our patreon.com page. So enough talk about Leipzig. I think we have more or less shoot on that. I don't think we really have to... Um, ask a question yet what this game means in the broader picture for Dortmund because it's really just one match day so um, we can look ahead to Hanover and uh, by doing that of course we first have to talk about Borussia Dortmund's latest addition in uh, Paco Alcacer who is 24 years old and played for Barcelona for two seasons and now is uh, playing for Dortmund because he didn't want to be a bench warmer anymore how about that so there was a little bit of confu confusion yesterday because uh, Barcelona on their official website um, wrote that Dortmund have an option to buy the player, but Barcelona has the option to refuse Dortmund's buy option, which doesn't really make any sense at all. But it's all cleared up now. Barcelona do have uh, a matching right, so if... Alcacer gets uh, sold later on. They can match whatever the transfer fee is and they get that player then. Um, so a one year loan deal. Dortmund can then buy him for 23 million euros plus, uh, five millions in vari variables and, uh, sign him for four more years. Last, do you think that is a good and clever transfer? And maybe before we talk about the player itself, how do you think Dortmund look with purchasing a player just three days before uh, the transfer window shuts? Yeah, first of all, uh, Alcacer will be uh, 25, I think, by the time this episode comes out because his birthday is on August 30th. So in about three hours uh, as of time, as the time of recording. Um, yeah, I think... Challenge accepted. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Konstantin is on this episode, so, um, hey. the, <laughs> the, the, the problem I have with this isn't necessarily the loan deal itself. Uh, I think looking at how many or how much money Dortmund have already invested this summer, it's, I think, close to 75 million euros. I kind of get that they wouldn't want to commit another 30 or however much they would have needed to sign him out right, right now. I mean, basically the, the loan fee plus add-ons plus, uh, the transfer fee. If they make use of their, their buyout option, that's basically amounting to a little more than 30 million, I guess. So, uh, we can just count on 30. Uh, the, the problem I have with it is more, uh, about them signing someone on loan three days before the windows uh, stops because they knew at least 13 months now that they would need a long-term replacement for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because as regular listeners of this show knew before pretty much everybody else, uh, Aubameyang was very close to leaving and closer than Dortmund led on to leaving for China uh, last summer. And then obviously he went to Arsenal in the winter and their response was first signing Michi Batshuayi on loan, uh, then signing Paco Alcacer on loan. So... Uh, in terms of their long-term planning, I'm not overly 
impressed with what they're doing now. If uh, Alcacer pans out pretty much as well as Butchwai did until he got injured, I think nobody will mind because right now they have the the buyout option, so they can make it permanent and they don't take on too many risks uh, if he doesn't pan out. The, financially, they don't have any risk because he's uh, well within their budget and you know the loan fee of two point whatever million that that's peanuts nowadays. They have a sporting risk, obviously, because if he doesn't pan out, they are only real striker in the squad because I think we can safely assume that Alexander Isaac isn't part of their plans for the uh, 18-man matchday squads this, se uh, this season. Uh, if if the only striker doesn't pan out, that's kind of a big deal, uh, even if you only paid, I don't know, six million or so for him in the first season. So um, long-term planning is my concern here. The player himself, I don't have much of a problem with him. Uh, he seems to fit what Lucien Favre likes to do, uh, probably even a bit better than someone like Mario Mandzukic would have, whom I kind of struggle seeing in Lucien Favre's system. But, you know, the the underlying or the, the business side of things, I'm, I'm not too impressed with. Yeah, I can certainly agree with that. Um, if there's one caveat or one concern that I want to voice um, is... It's more of the human side of things because, uh, uh tragically, Paco, uh, lost his dad when he was 17. And, uh, seven months ago, he became dad to a baby girl. And obviously, I think, I think, I don't know what their family planning is right now exactly, but, uh, um, we all know from numerous reports that he wanted to rather play Falaves or Real Betis, I think, uh, be before actually being convinced to join Dortmund. So, you know, he really wanted to stay in Spain and uh, from interviews you, you read and obviously I've, I've talked to some of my ESPN colleagues who cover uh, Barcelona and they also tell me that family is of great value to him so I don't really know if he arrives in Dortmund with a long-term plan to actually staying at the club or uh, whether he uh, you know wants to return to Spain as soon as possible anyway having said that Constantine you just before coming on to this podcast had the honor of uh, um, appearing at the uh, Auf Ohren podcast uh, from schwarzgelb.de very uh, nice greetings to them at this point, and uh, I think you were there to talk about Paco Alcacer. Uh, so please do that here now as well. Lars already said that he thinks uh, he might fit in better than Mandzukic. Um, how well do you think it's going to fit on, on paper? Because I, I think it's actually quite a savvy deal. What do you think? Well, the Ufa Urm podcast gave me 30 minutes to talk about Paco. So... Just, just a warning. Uh, yeah, and actually I made the same point. I, I said that from all the, uh, strikers that were rumored, in, um, that they might join Dortmund or that Dortmund is, uh, is interested in them, um, that I think, uh, Alcaza is the one that might fit the, be the best. I mean, bar maybe Lautaro Martinez, but yeah, that chip has sailed. Um, womp, womp. Yep, yep, yep. And, uh, yeah, he, he's a much better fit than Mario Manchukic, who is also a little bit, um, not the most disciplined, uh, player in terms of tactics. So I don't think, I don't think Farfa would have had much, uh, fun with, uh, you know, coaching Manchukic and telling him what to do. And then 
Manchukic not really doing what Pfeiffer wants him to do. Um, so, and for, you know, the Aurora strikers that were rumored and maybe Dobbo was, was somewhat close or at least in contact with, and uh, such as, uh, Ju and, and Morata. I mean, of course they would have offered something, uh, of value and I think, uh, Akarza does the same. Um, and in terms of, you know, the playing style right now, what we saw uh, against Leipzig, I think he fits in perfectly. Um, he's also small ball forward, but of course with a better instinct for uh, goal scoring situation, a better instinct than Philip. Um, but he can also link up and, you know, drop. Um, is pretty precise, uh, in, in, in tight spaces and at high speed, uh, as he has shown, um, uh, when he played for Barcelona as a left winger often enough. Um, or as a, you know, secondary striker, uh, behind Suarez. And, you know, when he really interacted very well with Messi and Suarez. Um, so I, I do think that the small ball football, uh, Dortmund plays right now is somewhat that suits him and he suits it the other way as well. Um, just look at the first goal Dortmund scored against Leipzig when uh, Diallo uh, advanced and marched through the midfield, uh, or from the middle, middle third. And then the, you know, short pass to Dahoud and then, um, Philip dropped. Um, get some separation from the defender and, um, got the ball and then, you know, ball get, got to Schmelzer. So Paco can do basically the same, uh, but also can offer a, a bit more of a threat in the box and also close to the box, you know, from, from mid range and also, um, with, with some smart runs into the box and maybe get some separation from the defender and then get some open sc- goal scoring situations. So overall, I think, uh, it's a it's a smart uh, signing. Um, also, he is basically a two footed player, um, which is something you don't you, you still don't see that much. I mean, what what really he can offer is that he can do triples with both uh, with both feet. Um, he can go right with his right. He can he can go left with his left. Um, it's not really the, the defender can't really tell what he's gonna do um, because he's really two footed, and that's. Still, I mean, uh, there's, there are a lot of strikers, um, high level strikers who still have a tendency because they are more stronger with their right foot. So they, they tend to do, um, a move to the right, you know, a switch or something. Um, but in his, in his case, he can do triples with his left foot. And, um, so that's a plus, of course. Um, he's, he at Valencia when he really had his breakthrough time, um, two years at Valencia, basically when he came back from, back from Atafa. Um, he, um, excelled in, in counter and transition attacks, but I think in, at Boston, he has shown that he can also be, uh, be of value in a possession, um, style football. Of course, he didn't play that often for Barcelona because he made just the wrong move, um, signing for them when they still had Neymar, Messi, and Suarez. And when there, when there was no, um, indication that Suarez would left, uh, the club. So I would leave the club. So I don't know why he did it. I don't know why he thought he could just, you know, take Suarez spot. I mean, uh, that the spot of a, of a center forward that has scored a million goals. Um, and was at that point, uh, getting comfortable playing, interacting with Messi and Neymar. So I don't know. I don't know why he did that, but he did it. Uh, and yes, he, he had two disapp- disappointing years at Barcelona and he missed the World Cup. So I think it's his time and it was his choice to join Dortmund. Maybe I also get back into, um, national team con- contention because, um, you know, playing for Alaves or so doesn't, does get you only that far and playing for Dortmund and Champions League 
also puts you into uh, the window and maybe for the next move, maybe to another big Spanish club or another to an Italian club or maybe even staying at Dortmund. I don't know. I don't know what his long uh, long term plans are. I don't see him as as a long term solution. I think he will move away from Dortmund after maybe after another year, I maybe after two years. But um, in the in that two years or in the one year, he can score. 10, 20 goals. Um, I think he he is good enough to do that against uh, most of the defensive, uh, most of the d- defenses uh, in the Bundesliga. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that um, even though he was more or less not playing much at Barcelona, he still managed to um, really up his scorer rate per ninety minutes. So when you like combine goals and assists. Um, and and really did that gradually ever since making his uh, La Liga debut in 2012. He um, he was sporting numbers. I think uh, in in 2016-17 it was like 0.81, and 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 then in the last year uh, 0.86. Even though he played like under 700 minutes, um, has to be said that it's rather e- easy to to boost your individual stats when you play for. Barcelona and alongside world class players. Um, but nevertheless, you know, if you're thrown on the, on the pitch without much, uh, match practice, you never really know how a player, um, yeah, performs or behaves. But, uh, I would say whenever he played, he, he set up, used his chance. That's, uh, m- maybe a good sign that he can also maybe quickly adapt to Dortmund. Who, who knows? Um, obviously he's, in, in terms of goal scoring rates, he's no Aubameyang, who I think in, in his last Dortmund season had like 0.9 goals per 90 minutes, which is just crazy. Alcacer is at like 0.49 and, uh, but he makes up for it in, in assists really. Um, that's uh, at least over 0.2, sometimes even 0.35 or something like that. And, uh, his, his chance creation is also rather healthy around the, uh, one chance per game. Uh, yeah, sort of, sort of count. So that means he, he is someone that, as you said, Konstantin is, is like a small ball player that can set up his teammates if he doesn't have a touch himself. I, I, I really do wonder, um, Konstantin, when you saw Philip this game, he sort of, uh, was a service player. I, I felt for like his teammates, he didn't really have a shot himself or was involved in a chance, at least not that I could remember, but, I still thought that he was effective in what he was doing. Uh, so do you think that Alcacer can maybe do what Philipp did against Leipzig just uh, a little bit better? Do you think that's a fair question? I don't know if he, if he can do what Philipp d- did better, but I think what he can, he can basically do the same plus uh, being more of a threat inside the box and, you know, getting himself into goal scoring position. Uh, because uh, Philip was just was basically there to uh, serve um, the possession uh, football and you know serve as as one of five six seven players that are involved in attacks and um, I think uh, Akaza can do that plus can do more inside the box. That's why I think that's why they sign him. I mean, it's not like he's more of a physical threat than Philip or so. I mean, Philip's taller than him. Uh, but he is more of an, of a goal scorer instinct. And I think, um, if he can, yeah, he, he offers m- much more in, in terms of goal scoring. 
um, why Philip might move back to a you know role as a winger maybe or or being the backup striker. Um, I I, f- I think he did quite well for him um, for himself uh, against Leipzig. I, I I think you know Philip did basically what he was asked to do, and that's what. Yeah, as I said, that's fine. He was a good service player. Um, what I found quite, I don't know if interesting, but um, sort of plays into the narrative of uh, the sort of player that Favre likes is uh, that uh, Akasa told, I think, Alpais or whatever they are pronounced, um, like two years ago, that he grew up idolizing Ronaldo, but uh, sees himself uh, more like of a guy like Raul, who's just uh, at the uh, right right place at the right time um because i think if if you watch him a little bit the, the first thing you really see is that he anticipates like really really well and uh, that's maybe on the exact other spectrum of uh, michi bajuai who i thought uh, was sometimes you know didn't didn't read the game too well um and lucien favre if he praises a player the word intelligence and uh, anticipation are never really far away and I think these are labels uh, which uh, with you can describe Akasa as well. So, um, yeah, I think overall um, Dortmund maybe have a good deal on their hands, uh, especially given, as Lars earlier described, how poor of a job they did to get a striker. Um, so, yeah, I wonder how he will integrate, how quickly that goes, especially considering the language barrier. Um and yeah, also wonder if he will play on Friday already against Hanover. Uh, Lucien Favre kept it very much open. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, most players, I think, are fit. I don't know if Lucien Favre, uh, if uh, Julian Weigel is already fit to play, but Lucien Favre basically declared everyone fit today, or at least not injured, uh, except for Jakob Brunlarsen, who is still recovering from from a foot injury. So, Lars, what kind of game can we expect from Hanover? I assume they will not press Dortmund high up the field within the first 20 minutes or so. Yeah, well, that would be surprising, I guess. Uh, Hannover, quintessential Bundesliga side uh, against, you know, a better opposition. I mean, I'm not a necessarily a huge Hannover expert, but you, it's kind of, you've seen one, you've seen them all uh, against the likes of Dortmund and, and Bayern and Hoffenheim nowadays. Uh, they are going to play in a relatively deep 4-4-2 block, try to be very compact, make things difficult and build up without pressing. So, you know, uh, blocking passing lanes, taking players out of the game, maybe uh, man-marking in certain moments, someone like Reus, for example. And, you know, basically try to uh, stifle the game uh, to a point where you can nick it with one counter-attack, one uh, set-piece or, or whatever it is. So uh, I'm I'm expecting Hannover to sit deep, not be overly active in possession and Dortmund to dominate, but, you know, struggle to break them down. But uh, there's also something to be said for uh, recent history in uh, Hannover. And uh, I think the last three games were a 4-2 win for Hannover, uh, a 3-2 win for Dortmund and a 4-1 win for Dortmund at Hannover or something like that. So that kind of tells you uh, that these games have a tendency to break out into uh, activity all of a sudden, even though Hannover have always been kind of 
an averagely talented Bundesliga side in those years. So there's there's some hope after all, but I would expect it to be somewhat cagey affair with uh, you know the the question being uh, when and if Dortmund can break the down the defense for the first time. If that happens relatively early in the game, it might be smooth sailing. If it happens late in the game, or it might not happen at all. So uh, ultimately. The way Dortmund have played against Fürth, which I think was a better game than most people gave them credit for afterwards, uh, and against Leipzig, I would think they are in a good enough run of form, uh, especially with some of the individuals, uh, to you know win a game they should really win if they are serious about their Champions League ambitions this season. Yeah, I very much agree. Um, Konstantin, if we uh, think back to that I think it was a 4-2 loss um, last season. Um, Dortmund were carved open by Bebu mostly. Like it, it was just crazy, crazy Peter Bosch uh, <laughs> running into the open knife sort of football. Um, if you compare it to this season, I know we haven't seen too many games of Dortmund yet and too many, uh, I guess, samples. Um, do you think that fans should worry equally as much, or probably not as equally, but do they, should they still be worried about, um, being counterattacked, or do you think that Dortmund are very much not susceptible against counterattacks at this moment? Oh, there's not one team in the world that's not susceptible to counterattacks. Uh, it's just, just part of the game. Um, and Beibu is fast enough to hit you on the break. Even this time, I mean, I mean, they, they, uh, did it against Preyman. Preyman, uh, last Saturday basically dominated most of that. Uh, well, yeah, parts of the game, uh, not all the time, but, uh, basically, and then they hit, uh, one counter, um, Hanover did and scored the goal, conceded later, but, you know, they weren't really in a position to, to, uh, play for three points here, but they almost got three points at Preyman against it, against a side that's, that's superior. Um, in terms of individual quality. So Beibu is, of course, a threat and, um, also Asano uh, might, might want, um, so yeah, there, there, there can be something going wrong for Dortmund. That, that can happen. That's, that's certainly possible. Um, even, even if Fafa puts more emphasis on, uh, basically these, uh, securing possession, meaning that, uh, playing secure balls and uh, being smart, um, especially in the first phase of build-up, when it would really hurt you um, when you get countered, uh, when you lose the ball, uh, when turnovers really can hurt you. On the other side, if you go back and watch the uh, 4-2 win um, or the 4-2 loss uh, at Hannover last season under Peter Bosch, um, just watch, you know, one, one Hannover goal um happened after uh, a throw in somewhere deep in in Hanover's half and when just the entire Dortmund side moved forward and it was really high up and then uh, they got hit on the break uh, I mean that can, that can happen or they got uh, basically outpaced and and especially Socrates I think so I mean that can happen again because uh if if the ball is you know close to um the uh, the goal line basically um i mean Dortmund will move forward and, and akanji and Diallo will be at the halfway line but this season you got uh, two 
two center backs that are uh, faster, uh, athletically better. Um, and also, I think you got a team that's smarter when it comes to backtracking and getting back into uh, the defending shape. Um, so, but you never know. I, I think one Bay boot goal is not, uh, it's, it's not an unlikely scenario. But then again, yeah, if, I, you, if, I, you I score, if you go score free, then you're still fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Dortmund's defense is entirely settled yet, but, um, it, it, it won't be as bad as the very poorly positioned individually and also tactically uh, Socrates and Dan Axel Zagadou last season in that game. That was also just atrocious on, on just so many accounts. And I think Zagadou actually uh, got sent off at some point. Um, be that as it may, um, Konstantin, how do you uh, think Hanover are weakened in general and and also on 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 set pieces uh, maybe defensively without uh, Sané, the tall center back who uh, of course moved to Schalke. Well, I mean Hanover, they, they the issue with Hanover is right now that they, as you said, they lost uh, Sané and also Harnik, and I don't know if they really. Figured out how to replace them. They signed Kevin Wimmer, um, also a tall, kind of physical center back. Um, but I think Sané offered more. Um, now Valdemar, it's basically on on the shoulders of Valdemar Anton to just keep everything together. Um, he's also the captain. Um, so I don't know. Just I know for they have lost. They have lost basically some quality in, in the squad. And I mean they weren't really really. That great uh, last season, they they collected plenty of points early on, and then they just went back to normal. In normal means, they are you know uh, close to bottom of the Bundesliga. Um, and if, if they don't ca can um, basically keep a clean sheet, then it will be pretty hard for them. And I mean, Breitenheider is someone who pretty pretty much uh, puts an emphasis on keeping the you know two lines, three lines tight and not giving up too much space uh, close to the own penalty box, uh, penalty area. But on the other hand, uh, if you don't have the players and you, if you can be beaten in one-on-one -on -one situations and you can, and, and someone like Oliver Sorg, who's, who's a great possession right back, but he can be beaten in one-on-ones and Ostrich the same, um, or Wallace in, def in defensive midfield. I mean, they can be beaten in one-on-one -on -one situations. They, they can... Uh, lose a one-on-one -on -one situation, even off the ball. Um, so, I mean, there's no tactical system world that would keep it, that would give you the possibility to keep a clean sheet all the time, uh, with that kind of, uh, player material. So, just, uh, send off. They will, they will battle relegation. And I, and I think Dortmund, uh, should show that. Why they are doing that? Why they are battling relegation this season? And why Dortmund is um, up there among the best teams in the league? All right, for a chance of winning that Grotefürtskaf, Konstantin, what's uh, your prediction? Uh, Three-one. As I right. also the same against Leipzig, though. I, I, as you remember, I said three-one against Leipzig, and then I'll say three-one against Tenov. Cool. Thus. I don't know if you want to have that scarf. Probably not. But what do you think uh, will happen in that game? Yeah, I don't want the scarf. But uh, as I said before, 
the last few meetings in Hanover and I think we should give a quick shout out to the traveling section of the Yellow Wall because uh, Hanover is kind of the uh, half a home game half a home game it seems to the me 18th because home game uh, every time you watch those games even on TV you see basically the entire left half of the screen is in bright yellow so I think that's going that's probably a small part of what makes uh Hannover usually a pretty good trip for Dortmund. So with that said, and the recent history of a lot of goals happening in these games, I'm going for a 3-2 win for Dortmund. Hmm, interesting. I don't know, maybe I've listened too many times to Lucien Favre, but I feel like uh, Hannover will be super defensive. Uh, I think that Favre will be very wary of counterattacks and hence Dortmund will have a lot of... Uh, deep possession and uh, I don't know, not create too many chances and eventually score off a corner so I think Dortmund will have like a 2-0 win in this one. So yeah, that wraps up our show after we have all the predictions in, unless either of you have anything hyper important left to say, any point to make that you really want to get out that might I might have missed with a question Five, four, two, three, one, zero. No, you don't. So with that, um, thanks again, everyone out there for listening. And uh, thanks again for coming on after uh, already being busy podcasting tonight. Konstantin Egner, how can people get in touch with you and read and find all your work? They should go to Twitter at CC underscore E-C-K-N-E-R. As always, also thanks to you, Lars. And same question to you. Yeah, same answer. After they went to CC underscore ECKNER, they should go to uh, <laughs> Lars Polman. I'm too, too tired to spell that out. Yeah, we're also running out of time. You can find me at Stefan Botsko on Twitter as well. All of us you can get a hold of on yellowwallpod.com or at yellowwallpod on Twitter. You can uh, subscribe to our show on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, and of course your favorite podcatcher. And uh, please, please, please... Uh, If you want to make a financial contribution, go on patreon.com.com slash theyellwall. And, uh, yeah, for more information there, also on that stadium collector's cups, uh, yeah, you can find it all on there. Otherwise, um, yeah, thanks again for listening. We shall be back next week with, uh, what will be, uh, I guess analysis of that Hanover game. And of course, uh, international break Q and A because, uh, yeah, what else is there to do? In the meantime, thanks again for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Goodbye.